0: hey real quick before the show starts today i just wanted to remind all my friends over there in the uk and ireland that uh my tickets for my march 2024 uh spring tour are on sale now we're going to be going to dublin belfast uh, glasgow uh manchester birmingham wrapping it up in london so i hope i see you all there grab yourself some tickets today and let's get to today's episode that's my favorite part right there if it was me, I don't think I would have the discipline to just let it hang there. i just go like this. Oh, and then there's this one. No, that's not it. Chris Shipwit, and we have a fantastic episode for you today. For all you Strat enthusiasts, it's none other than Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. But first, curious to hear what all you loyal listeners and viewers out there think about Rolling Stone's 250 best guitar players list they published recently. Um, I gotta admit, I didn't really look at it that closely myself. I know a few uh, Shred With Shifty guests actually wound up on there, but a few of them didn't. No Brad Paisley? Hmm, I don't know. What exactly is their definition of best anyway? Is it influence? Is it technique? commercial success. I want to know what you think. Who should have been on there that wasn't on there and, you know, in what order and all that sort of stuff. Respond in the comments below. Please. Thank you. righty. You know you can always watch the ad-free versions of this show at volume.com slash shifty. Uh, maybe you're watching it there right now. Maybe you're not. So there you go. And follow me on socials. And as always, learn the solo. Film the solo, post the solo, and tag us, Shred with Shifty, in your video so we can find it and make fun of you later. Oh, and one more thing. Have you bought tickets yet for my third annual hometown holiday hoedown, Q Graphic? Check out those lineups Jim Lindbergh from Pennywise, Tom Curran, Surf Legend, Joey Cape from Lagwagon, Gandhi Dancer. Burning it down for two nights at the Soho in Santa Barbara. You don't want to miss it, so get your tickets now right over there at Chris Shiflet Music. All right, that's enough about that. Let's get to the interview today. Uh, Let's talk about my man, Mike McCready. For today's episode, we went all the way back to the beginning, to the song that kicked off Pearl Jam's career, and he broke down the solo from their era-defining hit tune, Alive. He is, of course, equal parts Stratocaster and Les Paul, Jimi Hendrix and Ace Fraley, 80s rock and 90s grunge, as you can tell right here. This is Mike McCready from Pearl Jam on Shred with Shifty. Ready? Yes,
1: sir. Okay. Hey, this is Mike McCready, and check me out on Shredding with Shifty. I've seen him shred live, and he freaking shreds. I see, I saw the solo. So,
0: perfect.
1: I did. You fucking shredded that solo when you were in Seattle last time. It was awesome.
0: Oh man, you know it's so. uh, You know what I was thinking about when I was (laughs) driving over here today was um, that was when was that was had to be like a couple of years ago that we played up there. Um, Yeah, it's like 2021. I'm pretty sure you're the first person I ever asked to be on the show when it was just a just a kernel of an idea at that point, so far from actually coming to you know fruition. You
1: did ask me about it back then. I remember that. Yeah, I said yes. I was yeah. like,
0: this is the perfect opportunity to get a superstar guest because he's in our backstage right now. I can't let it go. So, dude, Mike McCready, thank you for coming and doing this, dude. I really appreciate it. This is going to be great.
1: Chris, I am honored to be part of this. Thank you. And a uh, big fan of your playing. So um, <laughs> it's going to be fun. I like your ideas.
0: Awesome. So. Likewise. So today we're focusing on the solo from uh, the Pearl Jam classic "Alive," of course. So let me set the stage for the people viewing at home. It's uh, it's the early '90s, '80s rock is is going the way of the dodo, and this new thing is bubbling up called alt rock or grunge or however you want to call it. And uh, and the music is changing quite a bit in that period. And and specifically relating to what we're talking about today, I've got. I, I was really wondering this. Um, like, guitar solos were kind of becoming culturally illegal at that point. Yeah. So how did you hold on to being a lead guitar player through that era? Like, you're a proper lead guitar player that came, um, you know, that, that 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 became famous in this era when, like, the rest of us were having to pretend we hadn't sat there learning Judas Priest songs our whole lives. Right.
1: right. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that you put it that way, because that, that was totally what was happening, and... There was that, that kind of a a thing in Seattle, it's like if you didn't have this punk rock background or whatever, then you just were kind of looked down upon or whatever. And, you know, I came up myself, I I, I saw Judas Peace tri- twice, you know, and I saw Iron yeah. Maiden. Stone and I headbanged at Iron Maiden. So it's like, you know, in 1982. So there was a metal thing in my world. Sure. Uh, I, played in a, I played a kind of a punk metal band called Shadow in the early 80s, so... I come from that. My roots came from that. And in terms of, uh, you know, the leads, uh, being able to do leads in the band, when the band first started, you know, I think Stone, I had known Stone for many, many years. It's kind of a long story, but he, when when Love Bone was still happening, Mother Love Bone was happening, I was playing guitar. um, And I had known Stone since sixth grade. So the Seattle scene was very small and everybody knew each other, the punk guys, the metal guys. And we were at a party at my friend Tim Giulio's house. This was when Love Bun was still happening, and I was kind of just starting to play guitar again. I've been playing since I was 11, but I've gone on and off doing it. At any rate, I was at a party, and I was playing along to a Stevie Ray Vaughan record. I was playing Couldn't Stand the Weather, I think I was going. <laughs> so. Something like that. But yeah. I, was, I was doing it in the in the bedroom of this party, and Stone walked in, and and he heard me playing, and he said, "Man, you said, hey man, you sound great, whatever." And I, you know, we, we shared a beer and whatever, and then went on. The party was over after that, and then Lovebone, we all know what happened there. And I got a call from him later on after Andy died, and I think it was him seeing me play leads that night, and him wanting to start another band where we were you know, guitar, two guitars, one guy would do leads and one guy would do rhythm and, um you know, based on an Aerosmith kind of thing or based on right. a Stones thing. And yeah. so I think that's my remembering of it. And so I, and I was very comfortable doing leads. So I, I was happy to, to go, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm in, you know.
0: I mean, how do you sort of view that from this vantage point now? You know, it's been so many years since then. And it, like, I remember just being a music fan and a a young guitar player playing around town and and trying to make it all that thing it just felt like this like sea change was happening you could really feel it and it's and of course you guys and Nirvana and Soundgarden everybody was like on the on the forefront of that like um and it seemed like it's different nowadays where everybody everybody kind of likes it at least says that they like everything but back then it was like I'm this thing and everything else is bad and like this thing that we've right. all been into up until a couple months ago. Well, we now we hate it and what you know there was that there was that thing back then. It's just a more judgmental time musically speaking. So, I had, like, what was that like to to live through as one of the primary players and sort of how do you view it now?
1: You know, I, it was funny because you it, I, I, I I I laugh about it now, but I think there's you know there's a certain kind of a pretentiousness to it of like if you don't like this kind of punk rock, then you're not legitimate or this or that, you know. And I remember that being a, a very viable thing. And, you know, at the same time, I could just only do what I knew how to do, which was play leads and and do and play guitar. And, yeah. and Stone was writing songs uh, and Jeff were, that were in the vein of classic rock, I guess, which is what I came up on. And our band was kind of that way. There was a, you know, a punk element to it in terms of the ethos and all that, but it wasn't as like nirvana you knew that was what they what they drew from right um and that's why they were fucking amazing um but we drew from other sources you know i drew from metal and blues and stone drew from punk but also he had some metal but jeff was all punk you know so that we all came from these diverse backgrounds and ed had the clash but he also liked springsteen so there's there's all these how i view it now is it's uh, is that what you were asking? Is yeah. How I kind of look. At how, yeah.
0: Yeah. Just kind of looking back at it. at those Those are those were uh, wild times.
1: It was they were so everything blew up so quickly. You know, none of us expected it to blow up at all. So, you know, I the thing I felt when we first started the band um, and Ed came along, I was like, oh, man, we're a good band. This is my first situation I've ever been in. And I'm sure you feel this way, is like everybody's fucking great in the band, you know, like you right. guys, everybody's great in your band. So you know, you know that, and it has to be a chemistry thing. Um, so I felt good about it there. I felt, okay, I think we can we can I think we're gonna be good, you know. But I had no idea we were gonna sell millions and millions of records, you know, on our first record when we hadn't been around for that long. You know, it sure. was within a year when that started happening. Yeah. We'd been in bands, you know, like separately for paying our dues for many many years but it came out of the, it came out of the fucking left field that's all, all i can say
0: you had mentioned um with this solo in particular there's a thing like that, a lick in there that that you kind of copped off ace fraley but maybe he had copped yeah. off a of robbie krieger so was ace a big influence for you
1: yeah i mean kiss was the reason i started playing guitar it was yeah. hands down I was a cub scout and i was getting looking for my merit badges and my friend Rick Friel had a Kiss Lunchbox in sixth grade. And I was like, what is that? And I remember just coming home in, a couple of days later and talking to my dad and just saying, Dad, I don't want to do the Cub Scouts anymore. I want to do this. I want to play guitar or whatever, you know. And my parents were cool enough to buy me a $100 Mateo Les Paul in 1979, you know. So I started playing guitar at 11 and... Never, I just obsessed and went. That's all I ever did.
0: I started playing guitar at eleven, and it was a hundred percent because of Ace fraley too. So we have that in, in. There's probably a lot of us out there that started playing guitar because of Ace fraley and quit whatever else. You know, I'm not playing soccer anymore. I'm doing this.
1: I'm doing this. It's. It, yeah. I want to be Space Ace, or I want to be fucking. I want to be the Star Child. I want. You know, I want whatever. That Kiss was such a huge thing to kids of the '70s. Whatever, I had a Kiss room and everything. So. I obsessed on it. It was exciting. And then that turned me on to all sorts of other music, you know, out of, out of that, you know, uh, of the seventies. And sure, um, I just wanted to emulate that stuff, you know, as I still do to this day, but to answer your question about um, when I first heard that when we were first working on a live, um, <clears throat> it was at Stone's parents' house in there. Um, in, the, in their, their attic up there with this dog at our feet, and Jeff was there, and it was just the three of us. And I, I remember hear, hearing it and going, okay, this is cool, what can I do over this? And, I, and it just reminded me of, the pattern lent itself to going, which was the Ace Freely she solo, which yeah. I later found out was the Robbie Krieger, five to one solo, but I knew directly I was taken from Ace, because like you said, he was the man, you know, yeah. and I wanted to be. I wanted to play like those guys. I want. I love Kiss. I loved oh, yeah.
0: Smith. I love. I mean, it, so- it's 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 a funny thing with Ace really because you can't exactly say he's underrated because obviously Kiss was super famous and successful, but because of the makeup and the theatrics, I don't, I've, I've as popular as as he is, I feel like still he does not get his just due for what a yeah. great lead player he was and those you know every one of his solos on those old records you could sing in your head you know it's a right. melody a melody in and on, all on its own um okay so if you started playing when you were about 11 like were you uh were you a disciplined guitar student like do you have coming through those years do you have like did you learn all that crazy like as it got into the 80s like all like malmsteen licks and like all that crazy picking and all that stuff <laughs>
1: Yeah. I did. I did. Nice. Um, I was way... I got into all that stuff. And I I mean, I lived in L.A. in 1986. I was trying to make it in my band Shadow down there. And we... You know, I was a metal guy. And I, I play. I liked... I had a Kramer pacer, you know, with a Floyd Rose on it. So I was like... Was, that? I, was like, I can't do it on this one anyways. But yeah, I, I, I could... Um, all of the I could do all that stuff, and I was way into it. And then one day in nineteen like eighty, it must have been 80, 88 or eighty seven. I saw the band's last Waltz on TV, and I saw Muddy Waters
2: mm.
1: on it, and it and that sudden stopped me in my tracks. And I had been kind of listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan a little bit at that time, anyways. But Muddy, I was like, wait, what is this? This is just... You know, it's, I've heard about it, you know, through, through the Stones, and I've heard about his music and everything. But sure. watching him play and sing, it seemed like he could do more with one note than I was doing with all these thousands of notes. And that shifted my reality in terms of how I started was playing guitar. So I kind of gave that up, yeah, I guess, so to speak. And then I saw Steve Rivon four times, and he was my hero. You know, right at that right around eighty-seven, eighty-eight, eighty-nine, and a little bit before that. So I, I kind of. Went in this blues, quote-unquote blues direction, with, which was less as more, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a tough
0: thing that I've, I feel like I still struggle with and will probably always struggle with because my formative years as a guitar, as a guitar player were, we're in that, that era in the 80s where you were just trying to pack as many notes into, you know, this much space as you possibly could. That thing of just, you know, just let less is more like you just said like just holding yeah. a single note and letting it just kind of breathe a little bit i still feel like probably to this day that's something that um i have to think about more than i sort of intuitively do i don't know do I you, mean- like do you do you still like are you somebody that still is like wood shedding on you know when you're at home and trying to learn and 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 learn different technique I, I, and all that sort of thing.
1: I'm not necessarily, a, I, I sit down and I'm going to go practice in woodshed for two hours straight. I will pick up a guitar every day if it's just kind of there. Yeah. And I'll usually play acoustic, you know, and yeah. I'll play, I, I don't generally play electric when I'm at home because <clears throat> if I'm writing songs, I write them on acoustic a lot of times. Um, And I feel like the acoustic is easier just to pick up and play than, okay, I got to plug my guitar in and play it. And um, So I, I'm more of an acoustic player. But then I bring. I think that brings my strength to the. That when we go on tour, you know, mm. to to the to the electric, it's easier to play when I've been playing acoustic all the time. Right. Um, but I like you. Like you're saying, Chris, um, I have to think about not playing too much sometimes. I mean, I have to. Yeah. I have to go. Like in a live, there's that one note where I'm hitting that one note, it's a, it, and there's a. I don't have a univibe on me, but I'm going. It's like a. Yeah. just trying to do this one that's it yeah so uh, there's an example of me trying to slow down in that solo probably not thought of thought about at that time but i still think about it sometimes but i generally want to feel it you know
0: do you remember the moment that that you became a lead guitar player like when you were a kid, do you remember what it was, what the lick you learned was, or, or what that was, where it went from chords and scales to like, you know, where you're actually going, or what, you know, whatever the lick was for you. What what was it?
1: Um, It would be probably like something like, like an ace lick. Like yes. that. Is, something like that. And I remember it was... When I was in my band Shadow in the '80s, I was the rhythm player, so I didn't do a lot of leads. Um, and then when our lead guitar left, and I was—that was like 1986—we, I was the lead player after that. So I kind of turned into a lead player in Los Angeles, I guess. Oh, right. by, by doing, by having to do it,
2: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and that's that's where it was. I did a couple when I was 15 or 16, but I was mostly a rhythm player back then.
0: I'm so glad that that's the lick that that you just <laughs> brought up because that is like core to my being as you know because you were at our show you know that. and that's like every <laughs> guitar solo that I ever play starts or ends with yep. was that I mean to okay. me like like we use that that's an Ace Fraley lick who did it yep. who did Ace bite that from like where did that come I think of it as like a, a, a more you know shreddy uh, adaptation yeah. on the, Ch- the Chuck Berry thing but who do you think did it from I would-
1: I would think that Ace was like in a Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck and that era guys, yeah. but you can kind of hear that in in, in obviously in pa- some of the Jimmy Page stuff and um and and Jeff Beck, the late great Jeff Beck. Um, but I don't know. I I I asked Ace that one time, and he goes, "Oh, you know who my influences are?" And I was like, "No, I don't. That's what I'm asking you." <laughs>
2: so,
1: but I feel like he was. I think he liked Hendrix a lot, you know, and he yeah. liked. Uh, those guys, you know, from the early 70s and the late 60s, those guys.
0: All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Okay, there's, there's a thing that I've been trying to establish on this show, and I've done it, you know, I think this is maybe like my eighth interview at this point for this. Um, And I thought this was something that we all did as guitar players, but I'm beginning to realize that maybe it's just something that I do as a guitar player, because I thought everybody was going to have a go-to guitar store lick. Like what's the thing you play (laughs) when you walk (laughs) into guitar center and the vintage room doors open up and somebody hands you a guitar you've never played and plugs it in. Like, what is your go-to? What is it?
1: It's uh, it's probably something like... some funky something like that I want to feel it I want to feel the neck you know I want to feel like, and I'll change the pickup so like I'll do stuff like that
0: yes finally you're the first person I've interviewed that has a guitar store lick thank you
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you're it's it's so I don't know if you find this Chris but when I'm in a guitar setup, I'm looking at a guitar and I'm playing. It has to play perfect the first time I play it, mm. or I'm not going to get it. It's like it'll never. It's going to play. The neck has to be <laughs> awesome. It's got a big. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you got to see gotta how it
0: fights play. you back a little bit. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or a song idea comes out of it or something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got, it has to have kind of a personality to it, I think, for that, me.
0: That is a really uh, trippy thing with guitars, man. There, there is something to that. Like you get a new guitar that you're kind of obsessed with and and yeah. then you write like seven songs on it. You know what I mean? There's just something, there's something in that. Like I know it shouldn't matter. It should, could be any yeah. guitar, but it, it kind of does matter sometimes.
1: I think it does matter. And I, I just, I know that when I'm buying a new one and I have it for a while, but it's got to play really great immediately and then, or it never will.
0: Why don't we jump into the day that you recorded the solo for Alive? Like, what do you remember about that day in the studio? Okay. Who else was uh, there with you? Do your bandmates tend to get involved in, in I mean, the solos you play, like helping you kind of craft them or, you know, um, or do you just uh, kind of wing it until you find the match? It
1: depends on the solo, like and the time, um, it's going to try to go all the way back to Alive. Hang on, sorry. I want to be unprofessional and tune up right now with
2: my
0: little. <laughs> totally fine.
1: Okay. Um, so, alive, live. Um, yeah, we were at Lenderbridge Studios. Um, I remember just doing it, as I do many of my leads over the years. It's either the first or second take, for um, a second or sometimes third. But after that, I'm all thinking about it too much. Mm. So it doesn't sound as good. Are, do, you, mind, do you have it
0: kind of mapped out before you get there? Or are you just like literally no. like press play and let's see what happens?
1: Press play and go. I got it. I have to, I, I can't, I, I can't think about it. It's got to be, it's got to be, I've got to feel the, um, the emotion or the attention, the in, intention or the, the intensity of the song yeah. and draw from that. But I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm just going, okay, roll it. And I just have to go, you know. This and one I,
0: feels very in the moment. This feels like a, a first or second take kind of guitar solo.
1: This and 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 I probably should har- I should go back to um Temple Temple the Dog, because around that time, that that was my first record I ever played leads on extensively, or first major label record I ever got to be on. Um, Cause they were, they were right around the same time. Mm. So I had an example of that when I did reach down solo, I did the first pass of it. And, and Chris Cornell was, he was like, "Mm, that was pretty good, but I'm going to go outside and have a cigarette. I want you to just fucking go crazy. And prior to that, I felt that I didn't, I wanted to be very careful because I was walking into this situation where these were the songs were written about Andy and they're a friend of his and I'm into this, new situation although i knew some of the guys but i wanted to be very careful on how i was playing because i didn't want to overplay
2: yeah
1: and it turned out he wanted me to overplay (laughs) so um (laughs) i was being too cautious so he went out had a cigarette and i went and i did the reach down solo in one take and like at the end of it my headphones were on the ground and all sorts of shit and i don't remember it but when that can happen chris that's the best and um you maybe you've noticed that when you do leads too it's just like you're somewhere else and but that happened with alive too as well you know but that the temple experience opened me up to be able to do the alive solo the way i did
0: ah, i mean how how has that changed for you over the years i mean I, I certainly in my own experience just the more time you spend in studios making records you know your confidence kind kind of builds but it can be a really unnerving thing and you know we're all kind of insecure really you know most like yeah. musicians have an insecure like, insecure streak in them somewhere and you're totally exposed when you're doing that and you might be in a room full of people and maybe some of them you don't even barely know that are working on your record but um sure. like as the years have gone by do you approach it different or was it was that just kind of the guidepost for you
1: and it's kind of the guidepost there's a few it depends on the song again like there's a song uh called sirens that i wrote and i wrote a I, the solo i wrote for that i wanted it to sound like an ambulance when it was going by mm. like so there that was a thought out kind of written solo yeah um but 98 90 of the time it's just off the top of my head and we just finished recording some stuff with andrew watt recently and i just did a few my, all my solos from the first or second take again you know he was very encouraging in terms of like hey just do a bunch of leads and to answer your question earlier, Jeff and Stone were there. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And Matt was there and it was cool. They're, you know, they're very, we're all, you guys are probably this way too. We're just brothers in this thing. So we're trying to make each other better at the same time. You know, I don't, there's, it, it helps. It helps when they're around for me, you know, so, cause I want to like just kind of impress them or, you know, or. Sure. Or just have the sounding I, board, like, yeah, yeah, a sounding board of it. And sometimes they have good ideas, and sometimes they, I, I don't like them. And then, but generally, <laughs> I get it in the first take, I, that's all I have to say. I mean, first or second, and then we comp them,
0: right? Yeah,
1: so but I like to have input too. I I, I don't, I'm not like, no, whatever I says, goes, it's
0: yeah, I always feel like I come in, there's sort of what I want to do, then there's what the producer thinks is right, then there's what Dave thinks is right, you know, if we're talking about a Foo Fighter record, then there's then yeah. there's all my bandmates sitting on a couch behind me, shorter or cooking me, you know, and somewhere in all that, you wind up with something great, you know?
1: Yeah, our band's the same way, dude. It's like, it's, we get the, you, you want it, you, you want it, the producer's there for a reason, to, to be a sounding board or to push us or, you know, you know, Ed, on one of his songs, he wants me to sound a certain way, like a country thing, and maybe, yeah. you know, like, I'll, I'll listen to the direction of others. But then sometimes I just, the best thing for me is just to go. And I just... Just let me go. And then I have to to grab the lightning out of the – what is it? Lightning in the bottle or whatever they call it. It Yeah, yeah. Because then it's gone. If it doesn't happen in the first two or three takes, it's gone.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I know. I I was making a record with Dave Cobb a few years ago, solo record. And he wasn't even in the control room when I was sitting there trying to track a lead. And I just heard him from the lounge just yell,
1: You're overthinking it!
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, ah! Okay, take five let's start over but
1: you're right i mean yeah. and that's a great that's a great producer thought process because we have to have that other set of ears to hear what we're kind of overdoing yeah
0: yeah 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 for sure
1: because we want to overthink it right we want to yeah, make sure it's great
0: yeah man you're like this is forever this is like I don't you know think this he's is... really
1: overthought it, though. i think he just fucking went and did it you know nice again yeah.
0: All right, so let's get into the nitty gritty of the song. So um, this interesting uh, chord structure in the song because the main riff and um, and the verses are like in A, and then the choruses and the lead section it's you're playing in E. Uh, so in E, bounce, right? Yeah, yeah. bouncing between them. So why don't you, if you can't, if you if you would, uh, show yeah. me that first lick, the kind of the 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 the. Something borrowed, something blue from Ace Frehley. <laughs> oh, I love that.
1: Okay, let me just let me just tune up one more time. we will fix this one. Fix it in post. Hey, by the oh, way,
0: is that the Strat right there that you're playing?
1: This is a mod. This is uh, it's this is not the one, but it's it's the um, it's the model that they did of it. It's the more uh, the McCready model, um, of the of that. But it it, it actually plays. Fender did a great job. It plays and looks exactly like the real one, the nice. 1960s,
0: Yeah, it looks beautiful. The
1: 1959 for 30 years.
0: Are you so, are you one of the only people that's ever had a, a signature model Gibson and a signature model Fender? <laughs> I
1: think so. I think so. I don't that's know. amazing. I didn't know we were allowed to do that, man. I didn't know it either until <laughs> they both asked me and I was like, well, shit.
0: Can't say no. You can't say no. Hey, you know, actually, before we get into the, um, before we get into the solo, going to
1: be pissed at me now, right? Is well, exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, they would only been mad if you just hadn't told either one of them. You know, um, he's
1: back to playing Kramer again. Been, what
0: that would have been a very music industry thing to do to not bother to tell either one of them that you're working right. with the other one. Um, before we uh, uh, break down the solo, could you actually show me the opening lick of the opening riff of the song?
1: I Stone does that, so I don't know how to do it. Oh, what for real? <laughs> I think it's I think that's that's the first time I've ever played it. Okay,
0: yeah, cuz it's one of those it's one of those riffs that we all know, but like yeah. I I feel like I've played it wrong every time I've tried to play it.
1: So, I'm trying to play it as best as I can. <laughs> so I don't even know, man. That's it. Yeah, keep going.
0: <laughs> it go to the...
1: Yeah, that's its D, You're right? Oh, nice, I've nice. Never played it before, Chris. I always. This is my part. The, this show is
0: about learning, Mike. It's about learning. I know. I'm <laughs> learning
1: right now on your show. Oh, no, perfect. All right. Well, show, show Fred, me. That... I can't wait to tell Stone that I. <laughs> almost figured his riff out on uh, your podcast.
0: Perfect. Perfect. I really should have known that that was not your part, too, if I had done the proper research for this show. That's
1: okay. (laughs) This is the part I do over. Oh, right. So, and then... I kind of do like... I think that's what initially attracted the situation with Stone, because I was... I was doing more Hendrixy stuff over the top of what he was playing. Yeah. So, so with my thumb, you know, like.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice! You're getting the thumb over there on the low E. Yeah,
1: I love that. Yeah, one. yeah. So it's like I can I can hit that A that way. Yeah. And you play that way, so it's like you know. But and then then and then yeah the chords. But Stone does all the, the, the hard parts. We nice. should have him for that part.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll have him for the follow-up. Yeah. Um, all right, so the first, I think people, anybody that watches the show, I've realized now in doing a few of these interviews that the only thing I know, the only phrase I know that's like remotely like theory guy is to say minor pentatonic box, which is handy because just about yeah. every guitar solo that I'm breaking down with people is in a minor pentatonic box, which yeah. this one is too, uh, starting up around the 12th fret, right? Yeah, yeah. All so, right. how do you finger that that opening lick?
1: So I go, it's like it's it's like I, I bend it from I, it's a how do you do it? You go like a. So you're a like bend? You're
0: doing like a pre-bend.
1: Yeah, pre-bend.
2: nice
0: now are you that sounds like a pretty like on the record it sounds pretty straightforward gained up tone do you remember what uh guitar and amp and pedal combinations yeah. were going on there
1: yeah i had a uh a marshall jcm 800 head with four uh 25 watt speakers and um and uh, th- uh t- 25 watt cabinet 25-watt speaker cabinet. And um, uh, uh, Ibanez Tube Screamer uh, with my uh, – Jeff and Stone bought me a 1962 reissue, Japanese reissue, black Stratocaster, and that's what Ooh. I played that on.
0: Nice. So that's a Tube Screamer. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That's that's so fitting because I'm playing through a pretend Marshall with a pretend Tube Screamer right
1: now. <laughs> And your pretend stuff sounds better than my other stuff that I have on my neck. <laughs> <stuff. laughs> all right. So it, now,
0: what? Tell me if I'm if I'm right here. But it, as it moves from section to section, I'm hearing some tone changes. For the second section, for that second lick kind of part, do you switch it over to the bridge pickup?
1: Um, I probably do. Um, again, that's not something I think about, but I do, do that all the time. So going back so, and forth. Then, um, so. Um, so when I turn that one, do you mean this part? The I think I don't you, remember. Well, even before there isn't there something that's like. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. That's it. Right. I forgot about it. I don't do the same. The solo the same way live all sure, the time. Sure. I generally do this part the same. Okay. Then I do not. But. That would have um, that would have so what that has on it is it it was a uh, probably the bass pickup and I think that there's a Univibe on it.
0: On that a part. Uni- okay, is that is because it sounds like a what what is a Univibe again? Is that is I, that a like a tremolo? It's
1: thing? Kind of a Leslie pedal. Like uh, if you okay. listen to Machine Gun by Hendrix. Yes. Yeah. He is my favorite soul of all time. He, in the he's got a Univibe where he hits this note where he's going. <laughs> It's just going... It's just got the greatest watery, cool sound ever.
0: Okay, I <laughs> thought I was hearing a wah-wah pedal, or maybe like a half-cock wah or something, but no, it's a univibe.
1: No, it was a univibe. Okay. And so that's... I do that lick with the univibe on. Sorry. Oop. What's out The pick with it. You ripped so
0: hard, anyway. you've destroyed your guitar tuning. I know.
1: That's a... <laughs> <laughs> So that has, you can hear the univibe on it. Then I go into, and that's where you really can hear the univibe. Okay. So can we with, do, that next, can you, or do you have another thing that I do that I can't remember right now?
0: <laughs> there's one more thing in there. But before we do that, yeah. can you, are you, so you're playing that still up in that like 12 fret minor pentatonic box area? Yeah, same thing. Can you yeah. play that really slow for the, for the young kids at home that want to learn that lick?
1: So let's see. Let me do it fast so so something like that okay I think, I
2: think that's what we're doing now. nice yeah so, there's a... right oh yeah, okay so you're on going...
0: Yeah. Oh okay, gotcha.
1: gotcha. I didn't go back and learn this Chris before this, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm glad you learned it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, that's, Do any you know of the other guitar players not know their solos
0: that's um we all don't know our guitar solos right yeah because like, nobody does it the same live but yeah that'll be funny that'll be in all the comments on this thing for sure like that's not how he plays it <laughs> but it's from him um, yeah, and then, there's, him then so. I think before it goes low there's that <laughs> there's that next section that's like like a... oh yeah and there's yeah. okay so there's an interesting string bending lick I think that I'm hearing in there that almost sounds like kind of a country thing but I couldn't really wrap my head around how you were fingering it it's like a something like that in there
1: man sorry once again Know that lick? I don't know
0: what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how, get... I, that's how I heard it. I heard something along the lines like.
1: Yeah, so... um,
0: is that what it is?
1: I I don't know if that's it. I think you're closer to what it is. But the main the main important part of that note is. Good for me going back to that Hendrix machine gun solo. I was trying to go for that. So that was what I was going after for that specific note. Nice. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking
0: about earlier, like one of those spots where you just hold a note and let it breathe.
1: Yeah, you let it breathe, and it says more than a million notes could say, you know?
0: Yeah. And then it goes down to that...
1: Yeah, that
0: kind of nasty thing too. That
2: uh, yeah.
0: So I forget what the what the exact thing was, but then that's where I thought I really heard the wah opening up. But I guess it was the the univibe.
1: That's the univibe. When you hear that, I definitely was listening to you know thinking about Hendrix and the machine gun solo because he hit slow notes like that with the univibe in that song, and so I was like, yeah. you know, so it's yeah, it makes it sound more evil or i don't know if that's the right word but you know just it it adds a wateriness and a a, an attention to it that it wouldn't have without that pedal i think
0: yeah no it's nasty i love
1: it to
0: it i imagine that part of the solo that's where you 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 drop to your knees and you hold your guitar up and the crowd goes crazy Um, ah, (laughs) every night Now, from that point, the vocal kind of comes back in, and the and the lead kind of ducks under, and then it's like a long outro. But um, and you kind of already talked about it, uh, but I love that it eventually in there. There's like some rockets, you know, some of that stuff. But then it it goes, it gets to that Ace lick for a while. Yeah.
1: Then so so I'm still kind of doing that stuff. So kind of did, did that lick again to end it.
0: Oh, can you can you show the people at home how you can you just sort of demonstrate that slow, like what your fingers are doing exactly on, the, on Let- that on that A
1: so, 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 so yeah. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Or, that's it. Like that. Yeah. That's it.
0: That is for the people watching at home. That is. That's the go-to. That is the, the go-to. go-to. If you're ever stuck, just do that, and that'll, get, that'll that. get you. Oh. That'll get you home
1: or start with that or go it's in the middle or it's yeah it's anywhere in your lead you gotta have that somewhere, right so then I go into that I think after that and then is it
0: yes and then I I know it ends kind of way up there. there's that I think in
1: there
0: and then what's that what's that last thing then you do that kind of again and then doesn't get
1: it's like a so it's... something like that. It's something I don't think that's it specifically, so it's like that. It's really weird sounding.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. I, I imagine that that's a the part that's a hundred percent different every night, right?
1: It's it really is. But yeah. the, the the meat of it is always So then then I, i'll do variations on that and then do that and then we go back into and it's saying, and then i'll go back into then then it's off to the races then to I'm not, the race. i'll bring all that stuff back in and then it just depends on how long it goes you know yeah also yeah. a half hour if i have to
0: nice is it do you guys draw it out like that
1: live sometimes we do yeah well it kind of depends on the the song Alive turned into something different over the years, and you've probably seen this with your songs, but... Sure. Initially, it was this kind of a... It was a our, one of our early songs, and a song about Ed and his dad and the issues and things like that, and it's very personal um, <clears throat> to him and to the band, I think, when we were playing little clubs and whatever. And as it grew, as the band grew, um, it became a fan thing where... It's it's a bigger song now in terms of I don't know if the importance is the word or if it's acceptance or or people gravitating towards it. it's turned into the fan song now like they sing it, they scream it. you know, I follow them I'll if they're doing something if they go wah, I'll go wah, wah, wah. you know I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll try yeah. to emulate what they're doing. So it's turned into something that's bigger than all of us. You know how it is with those songs. I mean,
0: I would imagine for a song like this, like it's such an iconic song that people would sing along to your guitar solo. Like they just know that melody. A lot
1: of of that happens in Europe. But yeah, yeah, you're right. They do do. Yeah. Um, But that's, a live is turned into something that's life affirming and in terms of, you know, people's lives, I think. You know, that's that's just only because I've heard that from fans and you can see it at night.
0: Who, well, who in the band is sort of tasked with being the one that decides how long it's going to go? Like, who are you all watching on? So are you watching Matt or like who, who's the one that is going to kind of make the call? Like, okay, that's
1: yeah. it. It depends on the, again, depends on the song, but yeah. I would say alive, you know, Ed's out there throwing out, he throws out a bunch of tambourines while we're doing that. So that's going on. I'm so like a maniac. Um, <clears throat> I would say, for a live, that would be more kind of Jeff and Stone or Stone and Matt. They're back there looking at each other playing it and kind of just naturally, you know, how a song naturally feels like it's gone too long or is almost about to go. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Maybe yeah. Yeah. That too. yeah. But
1: I, I would say it's those guys. Okay. I'll keep going, man. I'm just like, whatever. Go back to the hotel. <laughs> Get a fucking sandwich and i'm you know, <laughs> still doing it yeah so <laughs> but yeah it's still i would say it's it depends on the song but it's basically for a live it's jeff and stone i would say and then and ed to a certain degree but he's off doing his thing too right you know
0: yeah yeah he's off being the iconic front man he's um, doing his
1: thing yeah. yeah yes he does so well
0: you know one of the things that i do on this uh, show and you've already been very generous with your time but i always po- post to my social media like who i'm getting interview and Try to get some fan yeah. questions. And oh boy, did we get a lot of fan questions for you. Oh boy. Would you like to answer some questions from the people?
1: I would love to answer some questions from the people.
0: Okay. The first one Please. is very fitting because it ties into yeah. what we're doing right here. Bubbles wants to know, I would like <laughs> to ask, how does he learn solos? And of course, Mike, the answer to that question is you watch Shred with Shifty. That's how you do it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The- Next question, your answer, that was it. <laughs> I it. I learned from you. I learned how to do my solo today from you, Chris. That's right. Well, so, I think yeah.
0: what we learned, we all learned from Ace Fraley. And, we did. Uh, and he learned and from Robbie Krieger.
1: From the temple of Ace.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: How um, do I learn the beads? Is that the question? Or Yeah, uh, how, how do you learn solos? Um, you emulate the people that you like, and you, uh, you learn their guitar licks. And YouTube is extremely helpful for that now. Like, when we were coming up, it was yeah. more taking the record and putting it back and taking the, you know, and listening to it a thousand times. Yeah. Um, but now, shit, I can learn anything. We we did Comfortably Numb and I, I learned the solo off of YouTube. <clears throat> I learned uh, Achilles' Last Stand when we did it with Temple, which was the hardest solo I've ever learned. Um, but that was off of YouTube, so that's kind of... Kind of learn learn from your favorite guys or, yeah. or women, you know, yeah. who are playing these. That's that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I kind of have a I have a version of that myself. It's watch. Try to find footage of the person actually playing it and see where right. their hands are. Listen to yeah. the record. I mean, I usually start with listen to the record, but then I try to find footage. And then if those two first things fail, you just watch eight million people on YouTube explain like exactly almost how to play it, but it's a little bit wrong, which is good (laughs) because, which is why I'm sitting here talking to you, trying to get the the legitimate thing. Um,
1: And you're getting some wrong stuff from me though. That's the thing I know,
0: but that's the beauty of it is because the real lesson for people out there watching, you don't have to learn it exactly the same. It's fun too, but then you got to do your own thing with it.
1: You got it. That's the main great point. You got to learn your own, you got to bring your own thing to it. I have a question for you. Hit me. So if you're writing a song and you're playing it and you don't immediately record it on your iPhone or something like that, does it go away?
0: Oh, my God. Gone forever. Yeah. (laughs) unless I mean, there's been things that like where like at night, if something kind of pops into my head and I'm laying in bed and I'm too lazy to get up and uh, and go record it or whatever, every now and again, one of those i will still have it in the morning. But it's pretty rare.
1: But it, I, I understand the not wanting to get up part for sure. I get that. <laughs> yeah. but, I think the, the hardest
0: part is then going back and listening to all those recordings that you make on your phone, and then right. try, and then piecing songs together out of them. Or because the, you know most of them are like you know you're like what
1: what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> there's there's nothing. It's an A chord, huh? I was just going through that with some stuff on my iPhone and I went, oh man, I, I I thought this thing sounded so good at this one time. Yes. And it, in hindsight, it doesn't. But the thing I notice too with that is that if I don't, if I don't get the groove of it, then like the chords won't matter. Yeah, I don't know if that makes the groove comes immediately.
0: Especially with writing lyrics, I feel like if you don't chase it down when you're feeling the inspiration, it's hard to ever kind of get back to it. That's how I feel.
1: So, uh, so when you're writing your lyrics for your stuff, are you are you writing? This is a classic question, whatever. But are you writing the music first for it? Are you writing the lyrics? after or or during or what
0: usually lyrics after but god the best stuff is when it all comes at the same time yeah that's how i always feel like when it when it all kind of hits you at once um that's certainly better than going back and looking through your notebook and then you've got a melody with some chords and you're trying to like you know shoehorn stuff you know what i mean and then you're like wow this doesn't fit the rhyming pattern now i got to come up with another rhyme for Avocado or whatever. You know what I mean? We're like, ah. (laughs) Hey, you're listening to Shred with Shifty. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Okay, I got a lot of questions about Yellow Lead Better. Um, Yes. Lots of questions about that song in particular. But this one jumped out, which was, uh, what was the exact amp, guitar, and pedals for the studio version of that song?
1: So that was a, um, a Fender basement, um, probably a 1990s version of a Fender Basement. Um, uh, and it was on the, uh, the out of phase. I think they still call it that. Pickup, which is the one that's there's there's five positions on this one. Yeah. So it's it's the second one.
2: Yeah. Oh.
1: I, I watched. I kind of learned that from Stevie and, and uh, Hendrix. Hendrix uses it on uh, Little Wing, I think. Um, so it's a. So it has from the. So that's just one over from the bridge. Is that the one, one over talking? from the no one over from the knobs? From like it's like the second highest. But does that make sense? Yeah. Again with the thumb and the you know. That that allowed me when I first. So that that's the amp. It was a Fender. It was a bassman and a the 1962, uh, a black Fender Stratocaster that those guys got me. Nice.
0: You can't beat really a Fender on. through a Fender. That always no, works.
1: It worked great. And was there and was there was was anything the, else
0: on there like Univibe or uh, overdrive, anything like that? No.
1: It was just it was just the, it was just the, that tone and. I was—it's uh, a thing I had written before the band, you know, before Pearl Jam was even around. It's just something I had sitting around, and so yeah, it's—it's it's a lot of thumb stuff. Uh, again, if I want to get into the technique of it, when I first—I would always watch Hendrix at Monterey Pop, and there's that—he does that. That's a. Um... It's uh, he uh what uh, it's what he opens up with uh killing uh I should have mentioned killing floor, um, ah. So I didn't, at any rate, I never I, I could watch Hendrix play with the sun, but it never made any sense. Right. Until I saw Steve Ray Vaughan do it live, and I and I went, whoa, that's how you do it. And so that's when I started to do that kind of stuff, which is in the late mid '80s, mid to late. 80s. You kind of have to learn instead of doing chords this way. Yeah. It was it. So
0: Yeah, oh, that is very cool. Yeah.
1: That's where that came from.
0: I got to work on my thumb technique. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay He'll Luca
1: please, more leads over it. So anyways, go ahead.
0: Luca Magnani um, has some questions about your current setup, it looks like here. I've always wondered how he uses his amps. He has three or four, and he said in the past that he uses two at the same time and then kicks in the other ones for solos. It's quite hard to decode. During the last tour he had a roll ahead and a couple of fender digital modeling combos. Does he exactly. use one clean, one crunch, one at full blast, or in another way?
1: I mean, that guy nailed it. It's like, yeah, the roll ahead is a, uh, um, it's a company. It's a, uh, it's made out of here in Seattle It's it's been kind of based on a Marshall a little bit, but it's a local guy. And um, uh, those two fender uh, I use for, you know, I'll either run those at the same, it depends on the song. Like if it's more of a, a punk song um, I might only use one of the fenders and and crank it really loud uh, to get kind of a small tight sound. Um, if it's alive, I'll probably use one one of the one of the uh, one of the fenders. I'm forgetting which one it is right now. That it's the twin or uh, bassman or I forget which one. <laughs> I fucking forget right now. Um, I'll use that and the Rola together, you know, so I can get the so I can get the so I get that 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 clean sound. Then I'll kick it onto. When, right. when the course gets in, I want to hit it onto the roller. And what's what's on your pedal board for live? Um, I have a so I have a um, MXR Phase 90. Um, I'm yes. using a. I like that. I just got a bi phase that I, I'm going to start using that. Um, I have Ivan's tube screamer, which I've been using forever. Um, a diamond compressor, um, a space echo. I'm using that right now. Nice. Um, I also have a this. I, I really, I'm using the SpaceSac here, but I use this Line 6 Live. Oh, sure. For, for delays, because I can tap into the drums. Yeah. You know, so I love this one. It, I, it's kind of, I, I like that a lot. Um, uh, You know, a Dunlop Wah pedal. I like that. I like do you, those. Do you take,
0: like, your vintage Tube Screamer out, out with you?
1: Uh, No, I just, I take, you know, regular ones yeah. out. I don't have the, the, the old ones. I have a couple old ones at home, but... I don't take that. But I take my I take my vintage guitars
0: out and stuff. Oh, nice. Nice, nice. Yeah, vintage nice. guitars are one thing. When you get into those vintage pedals, then shit starts breaking. We got another one. And a lot of people asked about this, too, from Zig Daniels. Wants to know, did you really smash a custom shop? I'm assuming no. it means custom shop guitar. Or was it some trickery? And when is the release date for the next version of your signature Fender? That's a two-part.
1: Um, okay. Okay. First part of that question, no, it wasn't one of my. That wasn't one of these real expensive ones, um, which I hate to say that. But
0: <laughs> what what um, led to that moment? I've never heard that explained. I did watch that footage online of you I smashing can, the shit yeah. out of your pedal board and guitar. Yeah. Was that frustration or was that fun?
1: It was. It was. Uh, it was a release of we had. So we had to cancel, and you've probably been in this situation before too. But Ed had kind of blew his voice out for the last four shows of our. Tour and we had to blow out. We didn't know how it was going to be every day. We had one show in, in Vienna, and I went to the show, and then then it was canceled because Ed's throat was was all fucked up, um, and he couldn't sing. So we canceled it, and then you know fans are bummed and whatever. And I and then but there's nothing we can do. We can't we can't play. Um, and then we go to Amsterdam, and the same thing happens. I, I'm not sure. We're kind of taking it day by day. So I walk around Amsterdam, or not, sorry, not Amsterdam, Prague, we go to Prague, and I'm walking around Prague and I meet a bunch of fans and everything. And I go, I think we're playing, I think so. I'll find out at four o'clock or five o'clock. And we didn't play that night. Um, Cause his voice was still, it was pretty bad. His voice was really, he had some bad stuff going on in his throat. Mm. Um, so we had to cancel those two shows. Then we got to Amsterdam <clears throat> and I'm hoping we can end this tour on one show, um, but we may not, you never know. Um, we had two shows left in Amsterdam. We got there, walk around town again like I do, and run into fans. I'm like, I think we're – I'll find out at 5 o'clock whether we're playing. I think we're playing. I'm not sure. We're not playing. So <laughs> I, I'm building up this like, oh, fuck, I really want to play. I don't want to let fans down, you know, thing. But, you know, you literally – you can't do anything because it's a throat injury. And um, the, last day of the, the last day of the tour, the last show of Amsterdam, <clears throat> the show was on finally and we're playing and Ed's back and it was great and i i had all of this pent up oh my god i've been wanting to play for the last four days in that moment celebrating it i'm gonna smash the shit out of everything and that's and i don't know if that makes as i'm saying it chris that doesn't make any sense
2: logically
0: (laughs) i get it
1: i I totally get it that's kind of how my brain works you know for better for worse it was. It was not a real expensive. It was like an eight hundred dollar strat. It was thought out. I was like, "Hey, can I use this one of those? That's not as you know, just so I can go to the semi and get me the cheap shit." I'm in a funk. Basically, <laughs> basically that was basically it. Nice. But then I took it further. I took my pedal board out and my amp. So, but I, you know, I've made kind of a career out of breaking shit. I I don't even know how many. I have I. A
0: lot. <laughs> now it lives on for forever as like you know this like glorious moment. You know,
1: it, it was a good release. It felt great. Yeah, um, and it wasn't a really expensive guitar. So,
0: all right, here's here's a uh, a uh, guitar dynamic question from Matthew Mayfield wants to know when Ed added a third guitar to the live setting in '94. How did that affect the dynamic in the band? He has continued to play more and more guitar while front in the band since the Vitality uh, era. Um, has that changed the way you and Stone interact musically? That's the, uh, the kind of the meat of the question. And I thought this was interesting because I am in a three guitar band. Um, And we sort of think about how we sort of put the parts together, you know, at at times. But you guys now, not only does Ed play some of the time, but you also, don't you have Josh out there with you? Are you guys at times a four guitar band?
1: We have kind of of turned into that. Yes, we've kind of, of, Josh plays some of that, but he also does some percussion and keys and other stuff too. And backup vocals. But yes, he does play some guitar. So we have kind of turned into that. So he's been doing some of the overdubs that are on the records. Um, But when that happened with, well, you're, you, you know, it's like when Ed started playing more guitar, he had always played guitar, but when he brought it into the mix, we had to sit down and kind of pull back like, okay, do I play less here? Do I play, instead of hitting this chord, do I hit that chord? Or do I hit that chord? And Stone hits... You know, we we all try to hit different things, I think, except for in stuff like, uh, oh, man, like ha- habit or something, something that's kind of heavy. We're all kind of doing the same thing, but you don't want to get caught into doing the same thing a lot <clears throat> in terms of in art, because it might sound mushy, I think. So I'm always trying to think of how to play around that. And that comes from also trying to play around Ed's vocals in terms of my guitar playing. Um, but yeah, we we divvy up the idea uh, the guitar responsibilities on the three guitar songs, I guess. Does that make sense? See, I did,
0: yeah, I didn't know if it was like a Mick Jagger type of thing, where like, yeah, he's got a guitar in his hand, but it's really well, he played, it. he the played, faders he down here.
1: <laughs> no, it's funny. It'll Ed'll, Ed'll beat the shit out of his guitar. He's very, mm. he's a really hard player. He's really nice. hard punk rhythm. He's got a, a staccato Pete Townsend thing that he does yeah. that none of us can do. And so that that adds an element to the songs, too, that wasn't there before. Yeah. And when it first started, it's like we had to kind of pull back. You know, it's like, yeah. OK, yeah. You know, maybe play all this here. Maybe I'll play dynamically. A, a, a thing in our band is dynamic, a lot of dynamics. You know, there's always yeah. Jeff and Stone are always talking about that stuff. But it's it's, it's nice
0: about. with that that sort of thing to like, then you can really do all the parts from the record. Because, you know, we all layer yeah. the fuck out of the, the recordings.
1: What do you guys do? You have yeah. to a guitar players.
0: I mean, you know, I would say we kind of talked about it a lot when Pat first came back and figured it out, and now we just fall into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just become kind of a natural thing.
1: It's natural, too, for us. You know, it, it is now. Initially, it might have had to work its way into being that way, though. Yeah. Well, buddy, dude, you have been so great today.
0: This has been so much fun. I'm so glad we finally did this. It's fantastic, and thank you for for taking the time to do it.
1: You got it. Thank you for actually knowing my how to play the song for so I can learn it again. And uh, happy birthday to you.
0: Thank tomorrow. you, sir. Yeah.
1: And I'll see you out on the road this summer, I think. Yeah,
0: so. I hope so. I hope I get to yeah. see you sooner than later, buddy. That would be great. All right, man. Awesome. Thank you. I just want to focus for, real quick on our mutual love of Ace Frehley. So I'm just going to do this one again. Yeah. Alright, that was my buddy Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. What a cool dude. We'll be back in two weeks with another one of those solo review episodes that you can only get on volume.com slash shifty. Adios amigos. One, two, three. Shred with Shifty is created and hosted by me, Chris Shiflett, and produced in partnership with Double Elvis, volume.com, and Premier Guitar. If you're digging the show, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you get our new episodes when they come out every other week. Volume.com is a free platform with live stream performances, concert broadcasts, and a video archive that includes performances by Brothers Osborne. Stone Temple Pilots, Dirks Bentley, Weezer, and more. Shred with Shifty is produced by Jason Shadrick. Our executive producers are Brady Sadler and Jake Brennan for Double Elvis. Engineering support by Matt Tehaney and Matt Bowden. Our video editors are Dan DeStefano and Addison Savan. Special thanks to Chris Peterson, Greg Necron, and the entire Volume.com crew. Adios,
2: amigos.